Well, a little bit of review. Remember that uh, week one of our Christmas uh, message series, uh, we talked about the promises of the Advent. And we looked at just one verse, Matthew 1 1, which says it's the book of the ancestry of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Pointed out that in the promises made both to Abraham and David, they're fulfilled in the first and second coming of Christ, and even in his name, Jesus, Jehovah's salvation, and Christ, the Messiah. So, after the promises, we talked last week, Brother Bill brought the message on the prophecies of Christmas. And I'm a little bit jealous because he dealt with what I think is one of the richest texts in all of Scripture. That being Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. Unto us a son is given, uh, unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And he talked about the prophecy specifically about the child who would be born, and he was, about the son who would be given, and he was, and about his name, which would be wonderful. And uh, again, I'm jealous for that text. Good message and a good text. This morning we're going to talk about the people of Christmas. You know, you could pick any of a number of them, because there are such wonderful characters that surround the Christmas story. I think of Joseph. We don't hear a lot about Joseph, it, and you really don't read much about Joseph's life. But you know, Joseph was a kind and godly man, specially chosen by God for a very unique task. And Joseph is worthy of our attention and our affection. And Mary, what a wonderful young lady, that God would select her to bear the Messiah. And just as a young teenager, that he would pick her for that. And Mary could be the subject of a, of a number of messages, probably. How about Simeon and Anna, two of my favorite people who waited patiently for the coming of the Lord. And their whole life was geared to the coming of Messiah. How about Herod, a jealous king who didn't want to share his power and who uh, was hostile to the Messiah when he came? Or how about Zacharias and Elizabeth? The, the parents of John the Baptist, very special people who the Lord used in a unique way in their own right. Their son who was to prepare the way for Messiah. Well, just a minute as, as we're talking, Rachel Mayno is going to come and she's going to light the Advent candles. And the Advent candles we use this year to remind us first of the promises of Advent. Come on, Rachel. And secondly, of the prophecies of Advent. And then the third candle this morning to remind us of the people of Advent. And the last two, you'll have to come over the next two weeks to see what they represent. As you watch Rachel, 
we'll remember that Mary would have been of a very similar age to what Rachel is today. Look with me in Luke chapter 1. Luke 1. For the last two weeks, we've each used one verse. Well, this morning I'm going to make up for it because I'm going to read quite a lot. And I think to tell the story, it's better that I just read it. While you're turning there to Luke 1, and we're going to just pick some excerpts out of the chapter, and we're going to read a number of verses uh, together at the end of the chapter. A few years ago, we had a church in Akron called Crossroads Bible Fellowship. Anybody ever hear of it? Some of you have, because I've told you. And when we bought an old building that had a stable, it had been a riding arena, and so we refurbished the riding arena, and we still had a building about 60 by 140, as I remember, that was a stable. And what does a church do with a stable? Well, you might guess that someone, not me, had the idea of putting a, uh, a Christmas pageant of some sort together and having some animals and people in costumes. So the first year, we had about uh, 20 of us there in a new small church, only about our second year of existence, and we put on bathrobes, anything we could find, and, and we tried to depict uh, what it might have been like. Myrna and I had a couple sheep, we took them over, and lo and behold, we had a couple hundred people walk through, and we realized we were on to something. Rainy, cold night, people getting stuck in the mud in our parking lot, it was a terrible night. So, the next year, we had someone come along whose name was Jim White. And Jim had, of all things, a camel. <laughs> so, the following year, we had camel and donkeys and sheep and goats. And Jim totally spent months redoing the back end of the uh, of this stable and making it look like Bethlehem. And when you walk back there, you thought you were in Bethlehem. There was music playing and there were people. We had about a hundred people by the second year in costume back there. We made costumes. The ladies worked hard, Myrna and the others with the costumes. And so we, we tried to depict the best that we could what it might have been like. And as you can imagine, as they made their way around the big circle of Bethlehem, our Bethlehem, at the end was the manger. And by the third year, we even had a Herod back there. And Herod looked a lot like Gary Price. Yeah. Yes. Um, for those of you who might know Gary Price, a pastor from the area. But we, we had uh, all of the sets that had been built. You know, in our effort to depict all of the characters of Christmas, one that we never had was John the Baptist. Nor did we have his parents. And I've thought about that because you can't get to the manger without crossing the path of John the Baptist and his parents, Zacharias and Elizabeth. So as we read from Luke 1, we're going to pick up kind of the forgotten one. Um, follow with me, if you will. I'm going to just pick some verses out, starting with Luke 1 and verse 5, to kind of set the tone for the birth of John the Baptist. Luke 1, 5. There was in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zacharias, of the division of Abijah. His wife was of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. They were both righteous before God, 
and walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord blameless. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both well advanced in years. So it was that while he was serving as priest before God in the order of his division, according to the custom of his priesthood, his lot fell to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. In other words, they drew for lots, and one of the priests would go in on every given worship and would lead the, the people to the Lord through the offering. And so the whole multitude, verse 10, of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. Then the angel of the Lord appeared there, standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zacharias saw him, he was troubled, and fear fell upon him. The angel said to him, Don't be afraid, Zacharias, for your prayer is heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear a son, and you will call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. Maybe we ought to just pause there for a second. Here were these parents that had longed for a child. They were advanced in years past what they would expect to have children. And the Lord visits them in a very supernatural and special way. And John is conceived. And then for the Lord to say to the angel, he'll be great in the sight of the Lord. What kind of a vision does that bring to your mind? What does great look like in a child? And we all have expectations for our children, our grandchildren. What does it look like for them to be great? Well, John the Baptist didn't fit the stereotype of what we might think of as being great. And yet, the Lord said he would be great, and he was. And then he goes on and says that neither wine nor strong drink will, will touch his lips, and he'll be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. He will also go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts and fathers to the children, and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And Zacharias said to the angel, How should I know this? I'm an old man, and my wife is well advanced in years. The angel answered and said, I'm Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and bring you these glad tidings. And behold, you'll be mute and not able to speak until the day these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their own time. And so he had a moment of doubt. And because of that, he was made to be mute until it came to pass. Then bounce all the way down to verse 39. Because in the ensuing verses here, it's going to talk about Mary's visitation and how Christ was conceived. But let's come down to 39 and pick up the story again. Now, Mary arose in those days and went to the hill country with haste to the city of Judah. And entered the house of who? Of Zacharias. And she greeted Elizabeth. Elizabeth was a relative. And so Mary, after her conception, goes to Elizabeth, her relative, and who's now about six months, we're going to find, into her pregnancy. Now bounce down all the way to 56. And let's read a number of verses here. Mary is in the household of Elizabeth. Mary remained with her 
about three months and then returned to her house. Now, Elizabeth's full time came for her to be delivered, and she brought forth a son. And when her neighbors and relatives heard how the Lord had shown great mercy to her, they rejoiced with her. And so it was on the eighth day when they came to circumcise the child. And they would have called him by the name of his father, Zacharias. But his mother answered and said, No, he shall be called John. But they said, There is no one among your relatives who is called by that name. So they made signs to his father, asking what he would have him called. And he asked for a writing tablet. He wrote, saying, His name is John. And so they marveled. Incidentally, John means God is gracious. God is gracious. What a great name for John. Because John was a representative of the God who is gracious. It's a Hebrew origin, and it, it is today, still carries that same meaning of God is gracious. They marveled. Verse 64. Immediately his mouth was opened, his tongue loosed, and he spoke, praising God. Then fear came on all who dwelled around them, and all these sayings were discussed throughout the hill country of Judea. And all who, those who heard them kept them in their hearts, saying, What kind of a child would this be? And the hand of the Lord was with him. And his father Zacharias was filled with the Holy Spirit, and he prophesied, saying, Blessed is the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. And he's raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant, David. And he spoke by the mouth of the holy prophets, who have been since the world began, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to perform the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant. The oath which he swore swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear and holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life. And then you can see him turning to his son. And he said, You, child, you will be called the prophet of the highest, for you will go, go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways to give knowledge of salvation to his people by the remission of their sins. Through the tender mercy of our God, which is the, uh, with which the day spring from on high has visited us, <coughs> to give light to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. And so the child grew and became strong in spirit and was in the deserts till the day of his manifestation to Israel. Why don't we just pause right there for a moment and ask the Lord not only to bless the reading of his word, but to open up our hearts and his minds to what he could say to us this morning. Father, as we see how you have woven together a plan too sublime for even understanding, and in the fullness of time, the Lord Jesus would come to this earth. That he'd come to fulfill the promises you've made to your people. 
that he would come in fulfillment of the prophecies, even the details. Lord, we marvel at the little things, the city he was born in, and what his mother would be like, and the forerunner who would go before him. Lord, we cannot see your hand in all of this. And then, Lord, the people that you put before us, uh, special people, people like us, and yet people who were characterized by faith, who loved you, who longed for you, who looked forward to your coming. And God, I pray this morning that we would be like these people, that there be a longing in our heart for you, and that with great expectation we would look forward to the time when you come again. And in between, Lord, would you help us to be alert for opportunity to serve our Savior, the Lord Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. Just a few bullet notes about John the Baptist and his ministry. Listen just to these. You know them, but just kind of by way of review. The first is that John's life, too, was prophesied. Just like Christ was prophesied, so was John. You look at Isaiah 40, verse 3, and compare it to John 1, 23, you see that those two come together. Malachi 3, 1 says, I'll send my messenger to prepare the way, written 700 years before John was born. And so his life was prophesied. John had a hard message. He was a little like the doctor who tells the patient that he has a serious illness. His message was uh, repent. His message was there's sin. Repent from it. Turn to God. Turn away from sin. Confess sin and repent. He suffered for truth. He uh, publicly spoke against Herod, and he suffered for it. And his, his life was ended up being taken for it. He experienced doubts at a moment in prison. He said, are you the Christ, or should we look for another? So he was like us. All of us suffer from doubts from time to time, and as did John the Baptist. He, he was not uh, a, a man that had a character any different than ours. Uh, the, uh, the, the Luke says that he grew up uh, and became strong in spirit. And you know, if I look at John the Baptist, I wish we could visualize it. I wish there was something we could put on the screen. Can you picture him coming onto the scene in a hairy coat, eating locusts and wild honey, and proclaiming a message of repentance? Can you picture that? It was a different day. But he stood out even in that day. Uh, he stood out because of a profound message and a profound commitment to that message. He was a godly man. John was well-bred and well-raised. When you look at his parents, his parents from the beginning committed him to the Lord. Uh, they wanted him to be a servant of the Lord, whatever that meant. And his mom and dad were people of faith. In John, we see the transition from law to grace. He was a trailblazer, preparing the way for Christ. He was the last of the Old Testament prophets and prepared the world for the New Testament. John was chosen as the human agent to announce the coming of Messiah. But his is a little bit of a troubling story. Humanly speaking, we expect faithful people to be rewarded with success, don't we? And a measure of renown, and that's not the case. He only ministered for a couple years, just for a short time. And those years were filled with turbulence. 
Uh, his life, adult life, his adult ministry was never a time of prosperity. One could say that he had a wasted life, but from God's perspective, God said he had a profitable life. In fact, God's perspective is that he was the greatest man to be born of a woman. And so I guess the question would be to us, which was more important? Which would we rather have? A prosperity as measured by the world around us, or would we rather have God say, that's a good man, that's the greatest man born of a woman? And for our children, our grandchildren, what, which is more important to us? What would we rather have someone say? These are grateful. Would we rather have the, the Lord pronounce approval over them? You know, for a few minutes, just a few minutes this morning, I want to look at three things about John. And these are things that should be true of us. John always knew who Christ was. Never a doubt in his mind as to who Jesus Christ was. But what's more, John always knew who he was. John always understood his place in his relationship to Christ. And John always seemed to understand what he was to do. So he knew who Christ was. He knew who he was. And he knew what he was to do. Look back with me in John chapter 1. Read a few more verses. It says all of this better than I can say it. John chapter 1, we'll pick up in verse 19. Listen for John's appraisal of Christ as we read through these verses. John 1, 19. Now this is the testimony of John, that when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask, Who are you? He confessed, and did not, not deny, but he confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, What then, are you Elijah? And he said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, No. Then they said to him, Well, who are you? That we may give an answer to those that sent us. What do you say about yourself? And he said, I am. Now, you know, my tendency would have been to say I'm an emissary of the king or I'm a representative of the Lord or something like that. But look what he said. I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight, straight the way of the Lord. As the prophet Isaiah said. Now those who were sent were from the Pharisees. And they asked him saying, Why do you baptize if you're not the Christ or Elijah or the prophet? And John answered saying, I baptize with water, but there stands one among you who you do not know. It is he who, coming after me, is preferred before me, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to loose. These things were done at the bear on the Jordan where John was baptizing. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him, and he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Wouldn't you like to see that scene? Wouldn't you like to see that Jesus coming down to John and John looking up, maybe with a gesture and saying, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The anticipation of the ages was here. Here he is. And it was the presentation of the Lord Jesus. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Verse 30, this is he of whom I said, after me comes a man who is preferred before me, for he was before me. 
I did not know him, but that he should be revealed to Israel. Therefore, I came baptizing with water. And John bore witness, saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and he remained upon him. I did not know him, but he that sent me to baptize with water said to me, Upon whom you see the Spirit descending or remaining on him, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and testified that this is the Son of God. And the next day John stood with two of his disciples, and looking at Jesus as he walked, he said again, Behold the Lamb of God. John always knew who Jesus was. He lived his life in anticipation of Jesus' coming. At his birth, he was dedicated to be the forerunner of the Lord Jesus. Notice in those verses we read, verse 30, he says, He's the one who was before me. He says, He's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He says it twice. Uh, he said, He's the Son of God. He understood the Lord Jesus. And you know, if we're to be any use in this world at all, we need to start by understanding who the Lord Jesus is. If our vision of Christ is skewed, we'll be of no use to Him. Jesus Christ is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Yeah. Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And we need to be crystal clear in our hearts and in our minds about that. But John also knew who he was. Notice in those same verses, he says, I'm not worthy to loosen his sandal strap. Now that's a pretty lowly task. But I'm not worthy to even do that. I'm not worthy to approach him. I'm not worthy to take his shoes off. I'm not worthy to have anything to do with him. This person, the Lord Jesus. John knew who he was. He was never demented in any way. Never misunderstood his role. He didn't think he was Messiah. He knew he was a messenger. He said, he must increase and I must decrease. That's a pretty tough statement, isn't it? He must increase, I must decrease. How many of us can say that? The Lord Jesus must increase and I must decrease. I've got to, come, got to become less visible. He must become more visible. He was a messenger. You know, it was like always playing violin from the second chair. He was never going to move up. He was always second to the Lord Jesus. Uh, he didn't dress for success. He didn't attend the best schools. Went to school in the wilderness. He served in the diamond comfort. He ate locusts and wild honey. You know, today I think if people were looking at John the Baptist and he were among us, uh, they'd probably say he had an identity crisis. Right? They'd probably say that he had low self-esteem. Might even say that we need to fix him. It's broken. And what the Lord said, this is the greatest man born of a woman. John was never confused about who he was. He was never confused about Christ was, nor was he ever confused about his place in the plan of God. John 1.15 says, John testified about Christ when he shouted to the crowds, this is the one who I was telling you about when I said someone is coming after me. He was far greater than I am because he existed before me. John knew what he was to do. He, he did it all of his life. He operated as a, a messenger of the Lord. He operated as the one who was paving the way. Standing for righteousness. Uh, telling anyone who would listen about the Lord Jesus who would come. 
you know, a word of encouragement to those of I, I find John the Baptist the most intimidating character in the New Testament. Some say Paul, some say Peter, maybe others. I find John the Baptist. This was a giant of a man. When you see his whole life, everything about him was dedicated to the Lord Jesus. You don't read of any private life. You read of him uh, coming out of the wilderness and in for a brief time proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. And so his whole life was consumed with the Lord. And I just see him as larger than life. And yet at a moment, I think the Lord took us in there to encourage us. He was in prison, really awaiting the sentence of death. And he sent some messengers and he said, Go ask the Lord, are, are you really the one? Or should I look for another? And so he, he had some moments where he was just very human. But then the Lord sent back the message, Tell him what you've seen. Tell him what you've seen me do. And from all that we know, John was satisfied with that. His heart was quiet. You know, just as John prepared the way for Christ in the needy world, I think the Lord would have us prepare the way for Christ in the needy world. This week, I'm not sure I've heard a more depressing week in the news in my lifetime. It was an awful week. To hear the news of Connecticut and to hear what happened there. And it, it just reminds me of how desperately the world needs to know the Lord Jesus. Amen. How desperately that people, young people, a 20 year old, a 20 year old young man whose life was so torn and who was so confused about who he was and what was going on and probably been told forever that he evolved from something and, and you know, he, that God had been taken out of his life and taken out of his schools. And, folks, we've got to be the voice of John the Baptist, <coughs> crying out in this culture, in this society, more than ever. It was needed in John's day, but isn't it needed all the more today? Don't we need voices crying out for the Lord? And that's us. That's you and I. In our own little circle, in our own sphere of influence, crying out for people. You know, the Lord Jesus is coming back. He came in the first advent. And He's coming back again. And we need to be telling people, the Lord Jesus is coming. We need to pray that God would give us, in a sense, the spirit of John the Baptist, don't we? That we'd be proclaiming His message until He comes. <coughs> Do we know who Christ is? Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He is the Son of God. Do we know who Christ is? Do you know who Christ is? Is He your Lord and Savior? That's the story. Be sure of that this morning. Be sure in your relationship with Jesus Christ that He is your Savior and the Lord of your life. And then, do we know who we are? Our messenger. There isn't a greater job on earth, folks. You want the Lord's approval. You want the Lord to smile down. Be His messenger. Tell others about it. We may not be called the greatest man or woman born of a woman, but uh, we can be called those who are approved by God. So, let's be His messengers. And our, what are we to do? Well, we're to carry that message. The unchanged message. Same message. Behold the Lamb of God who 
takes away the sin of the world. It's a great message. And it is the message of peace. It's the message that the world needs.